Today on The Tappy Show, Vivek on BlackRock State Street and Vanguard gets 1 million views on the X, but I wants to investigate the sale of U.S. steel to Japan taste Nippon steel, even though Japan is a long-term U.S. ally. School will give a woman scholarship to a biological woman only after Riley Gaines calls him out for their hubris of wanting to give it to a biological man. Nike plans to cut costs by $2 billion, including layoffs. Bird Scooters filed for his bankruptcy. And Honda to recall 2.5 million vehicles, including, it pains me to say, the iconic Honda Civic. All of that much more on The Topping Show. Thank you everyone for taking the time to tune in today. Today's episode of Topping Show is sponsored by Topping Technologies. Topping Technologies is an IT value-added reseller and service company with a special proficiency in IT security. Heck, I see their founder at least twice today. Gotta say he's quite handsome and brilliant. He's me, you see, that's a joke. If you're an IT leader or a business owner, you reach the team at sales at toppingtechnologies.com. Also trying to get to 4,000 subscribers by the end of December. So if you click that button, I would greatly appreciate it. Now, going over to the business part of the podcast here, Nike to cut costs by $2 billion, including layoffs. Now, this comes to us thanks to a LinkedIn article by and specifically an author by name of Chap- Chaplin. And they know that Nike plans to slash up to $2 billion costs by quote-unquote streamlining the company, as well as simplifying product assortment and increasing automation, which I guess they'll destroy some of those jobs for kids in Vietnam, but nevertheless, they'll create new jobs for the robots and people who maintain the robots. They also noted that the sneaker giant didn't specify a number of job cuts to be planned. It said it result in, quote, restructuring char- char- charges of about $400 million to $450 million. Wow. So they're not saying how many jobs they're going to cut, but it will save them four hundred to $450 million. That is a pretty penny and... I was going to say, good news, if you're a Nike shareholder, that's going to be huge dividends and efficiencies, which, I mean, on that note, I can't but wonder, how has their stock been doing lately, at least the five-year, let's look at the trend really quick. So if you pull up Nike stock, they, wow, one would have thought this news would help the company, they're actually down today, down 10, or sorry, their stock is actually down 11.22% in the past day. Now, if you look at the long-term trend of Nike, Jeez Louise, still, <laughs> the max is still a ridiculous return on investment. If you could have invested them back in the 80s, let's just say you never have to work again a day of your life. The all-time life of the stock value has increased 47,202.17%. Pretty darn good investment long-term. Now, going back to the more shorter term, the five-year trend there increased their stock value by 48.34%. In the past one year, they're down at negative 6.79%. So they started up off the year bound $116 per share, and they're about 108.79% or $108.79 per share. Year to date, they're down at 8.39%. In the past six months, it's basically break even. It's only down 1.51%. In the past month, it's increased by 0.81%. And five day trend is yeah, down at negative 10.4%. Six percent, and well, that's partially because their sales figures and their outlook were, you know, not great. We'll add that to that in a second. Now, well, actually, fraction of a second right now. Now, Nike reported an annual 19% increase in net income for the fiscal second quarter Thursday, totaling 1.6 billion in revenue, 113.4 billion, 1% higher year over year. Nike's gross margin, which had declined year over year for for six straight quarters, rose the most. One recent one by 170 
basis points to 44.6%, mostly through discounted product sales. They know that the company has been laying off employees in recent weeks, according to the Oregonian news site in its recruitment, sourcing, brand, engineering, and human resources and innovation units. Now, going to the fiscal, more of the impact of the company, pulling up some of their other data. So again, their gross, interestingly enough, their gross margin increased and the stock still went down, just, I suspect partially because of the news. Well, let's see here. Yeah, there's plan to cut $2 billion, boost automation, work hard to attract customers and new products. Let's see here. Nike CFO Matt Friend said during conference call that the weaker sales outlook follows, quote, indications of more cautious consumer behavior around the world, unquote, pointing to markets in China, Europe, Middle East, and Africa. Let's see. Which I guess makes sense in terms of economic turmoil and uncertainty in the market. How many people really need to buy a Nike? I mean, basically no one. It's a luxury item. You really don't need anything that they manufacture. If you need a good running shoe, like every man will tell you, you really get the New Balance 990s. It's made in the USA. Great running shoe. I think I'm on my 16th or 17th pair. They're darn near bulletproof. I've worn them since college. Not a paid spokesperson, but just a fan. And one of the few brands that still makes shoes in the USA. Partially because of military contracts that they have with pretty much all branches of the military. But nevertheless, they have the civilian model as well without the military insignia. That's pretty much darn near the same shoe. So it'll be interesting to see. They always say investing, you know, time is half everything in life. Eh, is now the time to buy their stock? Eh? I don't know. I'm giving financial advice. I'd venture. Eh. I always say just gamble on yourself starting a business or invest yourself. But when it comes to Nike, it'd be interesting to see. Yeah, ever increase in competition. It's a luxury item no one really needs. With all the economic and political uncertainty going into 2024, I can't help but guess fewer and fewer people are going to go out and buy these extravagant pieces of luxury. But who knows? Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe there's a new sports balls event or something next year that'll inspire millions of people to go buy their products. I mean, I don't think so, but let me know what you think. I'd be fascinated to hear what you have to say. Although, realistically, I'm not going to hear what you have to say. I'll read what you have to say in the comments. But nevertheless, you get what I'm saying. Other interesting business news, you have Burt Scooters filing for bankruptcy. Oh no. What, what will the world do without those obnoxious pieces of garbage, also known as the electric rental scooters. Now this comes to us thanks to Jalopnik, specifically Elizabeth Blackstock, who, I was going to say, of all the people to be covering financial and business information, pretty good name, Blacks, yeah, stock, got the word stock right in it, it's perfect. Now they know that Bird filed for bankruptcy as a micromobility trend begins to die. Let's see here, which is insane because back in 2018 they were valued at $2 billion dollars. Bird became the largest micro-mobility company in North America when it purchased Spin, one of its competitors. Valued $2 billion, saw its investments up until the pandemic, ran ridership slump because no one was going outside. It was actually kicked from the New York Stock Exchange in 2023 for failing to maintain a $15 million market cap, which, yeah, that's pretty bad. If you get delisted off the New York Stock Exchange, it's a pretty... High indicator that you're going to be out of business pretty soon. I saw this, you know, Pier 1 Imports, Tuesday morning. A lot of those retailers, they got delisted once their stock went below $1 per share because that's one of the requirements to be on the New York Stock Exchange. You need to be above $1 per share. And, yeah, once you get booted off the New York Stock Exchange, it's a 
not a great sign. Now, it looks like 15 million buck wild cap. Let's see here. They claim that they're going to try to come back to come on the market cap with a SPAC or special purpose acquisition company. They value business at 2.3 million or 3.3 billion rather. Copy the wired revenue. So, I almost don't say it's belongs in the business blunder just because it's one of those things where did they really need the product to begin with? And again, when you look at the long-term viability of those companies, the way kids were hacking the scooters, they just ride for free, the way people are just throwing them into lakes, just because, again, they're a nuisance, I mean, especially when they're using the road trying to act like they were a car. It was just chaos and ridiculousness all around, which is why I was never really a fan of the technology. I suppose it would work in some very highly congested areas where there's no cars or something. But let me know in the comments, are you surprised that Bird went bankruptcy or that the market and the consumer base just gave the Bird the Bird? Be fascinated to hear what you have to say. Now going over to the culture part of the podcast, you have the school will not give a woman's scholarship to abolish command only after Ligains calls them out for their hubris. Now this comes from, again, the collegiate swimmer Riley Gaines, who's become a women's female advocate she tweeted this a couple days ago, and she said, quote, After the severe black backlash, St. Mary's College has reversed its transgender policy to make the college an all-female institution once again. So in short, St. Mary's caved to the pressure of their donors pulling out, as they all do. And she did a copy of their letter, and the letter from St. Mary's says, quote, Dear St. Mary's College community, earlier this week, St. Mary's College Board of Trustees met to discuss the impact of our recent decision to update our non-discrimination policy. The board reflected on the sense of division we have experienced in our campus community and among our extended alumni family since this decision was communicated. This has weighed heavily on our minds and in our hearts. There have been many voices responding to us from many places and perspectives. We have listened closely and we have heard each of you. When the board approved this update, we viewed it as a reflection of the college commitment to live our Catholic values as a loving and just community. We believed it affirmed our, our identity as an inclusive Catholic woman's college. It is increasingly clear, however, that the position we took is not shared by all members of the community. Some worry that this is much more of a policy decision. They felt that it was a dilution of our mission or even a threat to the Catholic identity. Moreover, we clearly underestimated our community's genuine desire to be engaged in the process of shaping a policy of such significance. As of last month unfolded, we lost the people's trust and unintentionally created division where we had hope for unity. For this, we are deeply sorry. Taking all these factors into consideration, the board has decided that we will return to our previous admission policy, unquote. The hubris. St. Mary's woman. So again, they believe that this woman's college, they thought it was a good thing to allow, a, to give a scholarship to a biological man, thereby robbing a biological woman of that opportunity. They thought it was a good thing. So, I'm not too surprised that subsequently a lot of the donations froze and halted. That's how a lot of these colleges make, that's how a lot of these colleges literally have multi-billion dollar endowments. There's a lot of, a lot of alumni that give a bunch of donations throughout the year. And we saw this with Harvard, where the latest Harvard news was that they lost about a billion dollars of donations because their president's ineptitudes, well, as well as lack of morality of 
clearly plagiarizing other people's works, as well as coming out as being anti-Semitic and encouraging anti-Semitic behavior. Granted, she still has her job, of course. But you're seeing a lot of these alumni start to pay more attention. I think for years, you saw this where they really didn't care what happened to college campuses. A lot of the alumni just gave them money because they remembered their good old days or their highlights of their childhood or the highlights of their young adult life when they were at those schools. It's where they met a lot of their friends, they got their major, that's quite helped them springboard them to their first job. And that helped them become successful and they thought, hey, I'll give back to the college that gave me so much. But they didn't look at the recent college policies or what they're actually teaching on these campuses. And in many cases, I think they're just completely unaware. Now, I believe, the rose-tipped glasses are starting to fade. They're starting to perhaps break. So it's an instance where a lot of these alumni are starting to see, dear God, what are you teaching? What are you doing? In this case, literally taking opportunities away. And as the Catholic Community Church, also I would also argue that they're deviating from their religious identity as well. So I'm not too surprised that there's some backlash. I'm actually more surprised they listened to their alumni and they listen to the consumers. Because more often than not, they just don't care. Again, they have multi, all these colleges have multi-billion dollar endowments, but they just don't change their behavior as too much. That's why you see so little diversity in college campuses. All the teachers are pretty much the same political ideology, which is terrible from a teaching perspective because the best way to learn anything in life is to have multiple perspectives and have a good old fashioned debate let the best ideas brew to the surface. Now, unfortunately, more and more Americans also believe in censorship. That's another problem or another topic for another time. Now, <laughs> excuse me, in terms of this being posted on X, again, Riley Gaines tweeted this, and this got 613,000 views and 24,000 likes. And let's look at the comment section. One of the first ones, by the name of Courage is a Habit, did a little Photoshop, and this person said, quote, made it a little easier for everyone to, to read for everyone. They took the original statement from the St. Mary's College community and they pasted over this. So this is a little crayon looking font that they put over it. And it says, TLDR, we lost a shit of ton of money because we allowed mentally ill men to show their penis in a all-girls school. Sorry, let's pretend it didn't happen, unquote. They got 1.9 thousand likes. Other top comments comes from Staying Sane. This individual says, quote, this is great, Riley. You may not look at it this way, but your efforts are a huge reason that these policies are even being looked at. Thank you from the bottom of my heart. This apology is clear, and this is how each board should apologize, unquote. That got 442 likes. I do believe the smaller schools, the schools that in which the donations have a greater impact on the school's endowments and the school's profitability, I think those are the ones that are probably going to listen the most to the donors. Again, Harvard, a lot of people are saying, oh yeah, they need to fire the president because her ineptitudes and lack of morality cost them a billion dollars of donations just evaporating. Well, that is a huge hit. However, relative to their endowment, main reports are saying their endowment is in the $50 billion range. Well, $1 billion missing, and I subsequently think there will be new donors of different political ideologies that will donate to that to make up for it perhaps in the long term. Less likely to have much bigger impact. But if you're a smaller school, your dollar goes a lot further, much like working with small businesses. Now, going back to the comments, someone by the name of Dr. McThickens says, quote, This is probably the most genuine, authentic apology I've seen from any public institution and or figure ever. 
credit where credit is due, unquote. It got 178 likes. And, yeah, I'd say that's an accurate statement. Because, again, you have to wonder when you're going for, and this is a big controversy with the Bud Light boycott, <laughs> excuse me, when you're going for a debate or a boycott or you're looking for, like, an apology, when you're bringing these details, bringing these talk bits up, we have to ask yourself, how do you define a win? Is it having the school simply put out a statement? Well, that's something, but actually having the school change their behavior, and in this case, change their policy back to the traditional of giving scholarships designed and actually funded by people who actually want scholarships for certain things. In this case, biological women, having those scholarships, got, <laughs> excuse me, going back to biological women, well, that's a huge win. That's a policy win. In this case, they actually got an apology too. So I'm actually pretty shocked. A lot of cases, you don't get that official apology. Like in the Bud Light, that's one of the biggest controversies around the Bud Light boycott is that there's still no official public apology. A lot of people are saying there's some half-assed statements, but they're somewhat changing their behavior at Bud Light, in which instead of giving Dolan Mulvaney, in addition to $185,000, they're giving $100 million to entities like, specifically, the UFC, which from a demographics and a consumer perspective, that customer base is much more conservative. So that's always something to think about when you're looking to boycott a company or you really have to ask yourself, what is a win or how do you define a win? Now, going back to the comments, you also have someone by the name of Gribray Naptime. This one said, quote, good dudes in dresses should not be allowed to dominate women's sports, unquote. That got 312 likes. A music says, quote, it happened because their funding got stopped, LOL. They listen only when money stops, unquote. I got 212 likes, and yes, as a wise philosopher once said, money talks, bullshit walks. Quote, unquote. Red Wave Press, which, A-plus for marketing, they quite literally have a picture of a red tidal wave as their little profile picture on X. Red Wave Press says, quote, look at what we do have power. I'm glad they reversed this insane decision. Men are men and women are women. They shouldn't, this shouldn't be controversial. Foul if you agree. I got 125 likes. Florden One says, quote, great job. You are a hero for America. We agree. And it's a picture compilation in which you have Riley Gaines and the text under her says woman. And then to the right of the picture, just opposed, is a picture of, what is that morally vacuous person? Leah Thomas, who is the biological man who is the 400th best collegiate swimmer, decided to change categories without any surgery or anything, just claiming to be about, oh, identified as a woman, and became the number one. And the text below that Okay, Thomas is not a woman. That got 512 likes on the Twitter. Or on the X, as more people are calling it. Logic, Reason, Compassion says, quote, All female, as in real females, not the pretend kind? Sounds like the board doesn't believe in their new policy, but simply buckled when funds started drying up. They should all resign in disgrace, unquote. That got 74 likes. Which is a good argument. <coughs> Excuse me which is an argument to be had. You also see in a lot of these instances, a lot of people just advocate for responsibility. They're really never held accountable. Now, they did change their policy. I think it's fair to ask, is it really authentic? It's hard to get inside someone's head and truly know their actual intentions. Who know? I'm not sure if this was a split decision on the board of directors or the collegiate committee, or if you know half said we should do this, half said they shouldn't. I'm not sure if that's public record or anything like that, but I mean, yeah, it's very true. Some of these people could very well maybe just going with the flow. That definitely could be happening. Heidi says, quote, it's a win. We'll take it. 
Okay, 45 likes. Is that size? Let's see here. Someone by the name of Jim Flynn says, quote, don't let your guard down yet. Pronouns and 2019 Harvard education. In which this person took a screenshot of the LinkedIn profile of, looks like Katie Conboy. And she's the president at St. Mary's College. She uses, yeah, what do you call those? Um, pronouns on LinkedIn saying she's a she, her. Although, of all the people to think of the, you know, the trans ideology and the culture of the trans, her name is Conboy. I'm surprised she hasn't. Maybe? No. I'm not. No, it's probably Biles Coleman. Probably. But having the name Conboy, that is a pretty silly name. I mean, it's almost as silly as being named after food, like topping. Oh, wait. I digress. And as I continue to go through the comments down here, let's see here. Clyde Meister says, quote, this is a step in the right direction, but notice they are careful not to mention anything about the actual policy in words issuing an apology for something they are afraid to name, unquote. Getting 11 likes, which is true. I'm sure this went through 12 to 20 different revisions and they have 20 to 30 different staff members review and edit this statement before they put it out. Let's see here. But as I continue to scroll through the comments, it looks like overwhelming support for the collegiate decision. And again, it'll be interesting to see what the ripple effect is with other colleges, if they start to change their policies. And I think from in terms of the collegiate athletes, we are seeing a little bit of a trend with the NCAA and other organizations moving towards having biological men, <laughs> excuse me, competing with biological men and biological women competing with biological women. So it's fascinating to see from a cultural perspective, there seems to be some shifting. It'll be interesting to see at the end of the day, is there a new category created for the trans community to compete with specifically? Or because that is the antithesis of some of their ideology, would they not be happy with that? I'm not sure what will happen at the end of the day, but I'd be fascinated to hear what you have to say. Other interesting cultural news, you have Bud Weiser, Bud Wagon tweet. Well, it's mostly mocked and ignored. In fact, no comments. Well, I should clarify, no comments that they didn't censor. Now, they have a picture as well as some text. And, <coughs> excuse me. And the text below, before the picture says, quote, Give a gift that means more this holiday season by sending the taste of home to a service member on us. For every 21 plus service member you nominate, we'll donate to Folds of Honor. Click the link to start sending. And they have a picture of an old timey carriage, or no, yeah, old timey wagon. And it says, home is where the butt is. The This round's on us. And it has a bunch of, looks like vintage wooden crates of Anheuser-Busch products with the iconic eagle. They have a little Budweiser font on the little wagon. Uh, interestingly enough, again, marketing failed. Granted, we know they suck at marketing. They don't have the picture of the iconic Budweiser Clydesdale horses. And that's, that, I, mean, almost, I mean, that is almost their main spokesperson for decades. And as I look at the picture, so it's a picture of the rear of this wagon. They, you can't even see like a, a tail or anything to indicate it's being pulled. So I'm not sure how they're propelling this wagon forward. But, I mean, that's half the iconic branding of the company. They don't have it anymore. So, I I mean, I'm looking at this picture. I can't fathom how they're going to power this wagon. Is it powered by ineptitudes or bad marketing design? Maybe. And 
this got 4,000 views. Not to brag, but one time my video on the YouTube did get 4,200 views a couple months back. Humble brag. And this I got 4,000 views. And this is an instance where I'm taking this, all these data points from, you know, two minutes after they posted. This is within over 24 hours after they posted this, this picture on the Twitter, or sorry, on the X. They still only got 4,000 views, which is nothing. And even more embarrassing, they got 33 likes, which, again, is nothing. Presumably, there's more than 33 people who still work at Budweiser, and yet, even they didn't take time to like it? And even crazier, all that, there's no comments. I should clarify, there are comments. They are all censored. Every single comment, 100% of the comments, all censored. In fact, it says, show additional replies, including those that may contain offensive content. So, of course, I'm going to click that button. So, we click the magical button, and lo and behold, there's some comments. And, again, I don't think this original, so this is the first one, and I don't think this comment is too pejorative. It's just mentioning the competition. So, this person says, Hunter Biden parody account, and this person just responded saying, you spelled Coors Light wrong. And it's a gif of someone drinking a Coors Light. And that did get one like. And yet they censored that. Now, I guess I shouldn't be too surprised. They actually banned my personal Twitter profile on the Bud Light page after they had some post, and I simply responded with a picture of my podcast studio with a picture of um, two cases of beer. And the two cases of beer just happened to be Yangling and Yangling Light. And all I said was, thanks for reminding me to buy Yangling. They banned me for that. Really? So I guess we shouldn't be too surprised they censored someone. Again, this is just a... I don't know if this is an actor or some type of sports balls athlete, but just an average-looking guy drinking a Coors Light. And they thought, we got to censor this. What else is censored? So D420ETH, this individual responded simply, let's go to the Budweiser tweet. Which, again, that's really not... Maybe the name is offensive, because it certainly is indicating illegal activities with the marijuana. But, I, again, they censored that. <laughs> Just someone saying simply, let's go. Let's see here. And then the third, let's see. They said four comments. But I'm only seeing three. Can they nuke it or delete it? And then the third comment, maybe this is a scam, is Gig Rewards Community? And someone by the name of Kafarahuja. It's not a 0% chance I'm getting that name wrong. A very, maybe 3% chance. Like, maybe? Nevertheless, this individual says you have zero invitations. Invite 14 people. You could earn some money, amount of money. All that kind of crap. So again, all the responses were censored. I mean, it's been, it's been a couple months since they had such a bad marketing fail. Because usually, again... This is an instance where, I mean, it's supposed to be about supporting veterans, which used to be one of the biggest emotional rhetorics that Budweiser and Andrew Bush played upon. It used to be patriotism, veterism, sports balls. I mean, these be tied into those communities very tightly so. And even those communities aren't helping them gather any of their old customer bases back. It's almost as if it's backfiring. I mean, not a single positive comment, not even one. So I can't but think, Again, I don't know who's left or who's in charge of their current marketing department. Uh, 
maybe they hired this person from the Ron DeSantis campaign. Maybe. They're both equally as inept and shooting themselves in the high-heeled boots more than once. But I was going to say, I've never seen Budweiser fail so much. It'll be fascinating to see as we go into the new year, do they fire some people and get someone new in the marketing? I mean, literally anyone could do better than what they've been doing. It, it can't get much worse is what I'm saying. Although I say that now, who knows? They might, may, they may very well do something even more hilariously moronic. But as I always say, time shall tell. Now, going over to the political part of the podcast, you have Biden wanting to investigate the sale of U.S. steel to Japan-based Nippon Steel, even though Japan is an ally. Now, this is yet at one million. What is this? The one million nine hundred ninety-eight thousand nine hundred fifty-one reasons in which I always like to talk about business, culture, and politics because they're all related. They're all connected, and. It's an instance where the government's gotten so big, they have so their hands in everything, they regulate every industry. So if you have these types of sales, or this is one of the largest sales, the government, they might just shoot it down. We saw this with Microsoft when they attempted to purchase Activision Blizzard. That only went through after a lot of governments had to sign off on it. And I believe it was the, what was it, the Broadcom purchase of Veeam software, or not Veeam, I'm sorry, VMware software technology. Well, that took months, almost a year to get signed off by all the government entities. Lastly, China was the last company to actually give them the green light for that. So as long as this is where two businesses can come together and say, oh yeah, we agree, we're going to do a sale. The government comes and go, oh no, no, not so quick. So this comes to us thanks to Political, or Politico, sorry, which at least get a B minus for marketing. The name is catchy. And this comes to us thanks to Doug Palmer. And they said the title is actually Biden believes Nippon purchase of U.S. steel deserves, quote, serious scrutiny, unquote. The carefully worded remark shows how the high stakes for Biden if his administration were to block the deal on national security grounds, which is one of those instances where there is a huge part of the defense industry that needs steel. I mean, let's just say you're not making a lot of the tanks for the U.S. military out of carbon fiber yet. So it's an instance where there are a lot of military applications for it, including making bullet resistance vehicles, as well as bases. There are a myriad of applications. But again, China's been an ally with the U.S. for I mean, decades upon decades. I mean, our cultures are becoming more and more intertwined and more and more, we have some huge commerce relationships with them, tech, technological, automotive. I mean, there's a lot of synergies between the countries as much as that word can be overused. Now, going down to the article, this comes from an official top White House official. They say President Joe Biden believes Japan's company's Nippon Steel planned purchase of the iconic American company U.S. Steel there's scrutiny because of potential national security and supply chain concerns. Now, I'm not sure about supply chain concerns because, again, they're not moving these factories like out. Some of these um, kelms and furnaces are never turned off. They're huge, the size of Volkswagens. Or perhaps a better metaphor would be a Toyota, was it the Sequoia? Since this is a Japanese automotive company, probably should use that metaphor first. But nevertheless, now, Biden said, quote, Biden, quote, has been clear that we welcome manufacturers across the world building their futures in America with American jobs and American workers. However, he believes that the purchase of an iconic American-owned company by a foreign entity, even though it's a corporate satellite, deserves serious scrutiny in terms of its potential impact on national security and supply chain reliability. Which, I, again, I was actually still shocked that they were willing to sell the company. They sold it for a huge premium, which is why the board directors haven't approved on it. But U.S. Steel, they've been around for about 122 years. 
is founded by some of the largest business magnates of all time. We're talking about Andrew Carnegie, J.P. Morgan. I mean, some of the biggest business magnates in history. Now, they continue to argue, saying the carefully worded remarks show the high stakes of the, for Biden if his administration through the in, Interagency Committee on Foreign Investment in the United States were to block the deal on national security grounds since that would send a negative signal to the rest of the world about the openness of the U.S. economy to foreign investment. Now, they noted that the U.S. Steelworkers Union proposed opposes the proposed sale and a number of politicians have called for CFIUS to review to determine whether it be blocked by national security grounds. They said, continued, quote, This looks like the type of transaction that the Interagency Committee on Foreign Investments Congress empowered and the Biden administration strengthened itself to carefully investigate. This administration will be ready to carefully look at the findings of any such investigation and act if appropriate, unquote. The Department of Defense requires a range of steel products for weapons and related defense systems. The Trump administration estimated that the total demand at about 3% U.S. steel production. However, in regards to that level is large enough to justify imposing a 25% tariff on steel imports from around the world. U.S. Steel and Nippon Steel have already said that they expect CFIUS to review the transaction. So it'll be interesting to see if it goes through at the end of the day. And it'll be interesting to see how these companies and that what the vernacular is around the acquisition and how the companies will work together. In some instances, and again, not all, but in some instances, you have instances where you have a company just bought another company and they treat it almost as an independent subsidiary and they take some of the profits and there's a lot of benefits in terms of increased purchasing power for raw materials, logistics, supply, supply of other anecdotal materials and including their raw materials. So there are a lot of benefits in those cases. But they have their own separate management. We saw this when Hewlett Packard Enterprise purchased Aruba Networks, which I was probably an employee of back in the day. When Kierty, one of the co-founders of Aruba Networks, agreed to the acquisition, they said they were going to have a separate CEO, separate building, separate president, separate office, separate support. So for many years, they treated, excuse me, I'm sorry. <clears throat> Aruba Networks was almost as a independent subsidiary. I used to joke is the biggest small business out there because there are many additional benefits of being part of Hewlett Packard Enterprise in terms of when you're buying anything, you get the huge buying power of a larger company. You have more logistics, you have more data that you can integrate with sales data. You have more negotiating power with health insurance providers when you're negotiating those. There are a lot of benefits of being a part of a larger business. And because they're treated as an independent subsidiary in many ways, they're able to still move and operate at a quick speed like an entrepreneurial based small company. And I would say that was probably one of the very few successful big acquisitions I've seen, especially in the tech industry, where they're so notorious for buying a company. And then this is the kind of the antithesis of the situation. You had an instance where Hewlett-Packard Enterprise purchased, it was uh, Simplimity, which was a storage company, or a data storage company. Now, in that case, they bought out the company, and without, within about 6 to 12 months, everything was gone. So the CEO, the CEO, all the executives, all the sales reps, they were all gone, and what they purchased was the intellectual property, the software, and, they were, and a little bit of the hardware. They were able to take that, and then they put it on all of Hewlett Packard Enterprise's intellectual property, all their products. So that's an instance where they buy them out and basically just swallow it whole. So in this case, with Nippon Steel and U.S. Steel, what could help, and again, I haven't seen the actual document and it's still pending you know, approval, it would be interesting to see if they do treat it as almost like an independent subsidiary and they give some type of priority to U.S. government contracts, that may make the government more likely to approve the sale and less likely for them to, screw, excuse me, to scrutinize it. 
That may be one instance. Again, with government contracts, if they were getting, it's presumably they're already on the GSA, a lot of these other government purchasing entities and mechanisms, and they can be quite lucrative. And the hardest part of those contracts is just getting authorized and getting on those contracts. And then once you're on it, you just have to maintain them. And in theory, of course, as business, you want to grow your revenue and sales over time. So it'll be interesting to see. There's a lot of political uncertainty. And with the global geopolitical instances, we've depleted a lot of our military resources, giving them to other countries. So we do need to restock them. So we're going to need a lot more steel to replenish all those devices and all those machineries, all those vehicles that we've been shipping and selling throughout the globe. So I suspect in 2024, there will be an increased demand for steel by the Department of Defense as well as other US-based entities, including the automotive community, if they were to ramp up their numbers, that being another wide demand industry that needs steel. But let me know in the comments, do you think at the end of the day, will this be shot down just because of the optics of having, again, 122 US-based manufacturer, which does have, I understand the national security implications of that, but it's also being purchased by Japan where we have a long-standing ally relationship with them. And again, they're not moving these furnaces as far as I can tell in these big foundries. These foundries are, astronomically large and complex and as far as i know there's no plans to shut down a majority of them or to move them off site this will be operating in the u.s so it'll be fascinating to see how this results but it is another important instance where if you're a business you do need to be involved in politics because politics is very much involved in you so uh, let me know i'd be fascinated to hear what you have to say with this instance but part of the gambling man great i like to just gamble myself and you know put the money back into the business and the team but if I were a traditional gambling man, I'd say the outlook is yeah, maybe 50-50 on it getting approved because it is one of the largest acquisition, acquisitions. rather. Again, I'm not a doctor. However, if you click the subscribe button, it may help with my stuttering and my speaking ineptitudes. It's, not, it's by no means 100%. Very few things in life are. But I suspect if you click the button, it very well may assist. You look at the first videos I made, a lot more stuttering, did not enunciate as much. I, I spoke even faster back then. So if you click that button, I think it might help, and I would greatly appreciate it because trying to get that to, again, 4,000 subscribers by the end of December. And again, let me know in the comments. It would be fascinating to hear what you have to say. Other interesting political news, you have Vivek on BlackRock State Street and Vanguard getting over a million views on the X. Now, this actually, on the time of this recording, is actually up to 3 million views and 54 thousand likes and this is a little bit of a long video and but thankfully his voice is very much more better than mine so we'll listen to him in a second here and he has a little bit of text before the video in the text he tweets or he posted quote blackrock state street and vanguard represent the most powerful cartel in human history they're the largest shareholders of nearly every major public company quote or little parentheses even each other they use their own money to create a country that you never voted for. As president, I will cut off the real hand that guides the ESG movement, not the invisible hand of the free market, but the invisible fist of the government itself, unquote. And without further ado. ESG movement in the... I want to talk to you about the ESG movement in this country. A lot of people actually, when I'm running for president now, they got to know me this past year, say, hey, love what you're saying, but you came from nowhere. It's not quite true. If you've been following me for the last several years, I've been arguably the leading opponent in terms of actually doing something to stop the ESG movement and its spread in America. I'll tell you what it is, and it's not some technical financial concept alone. It goes to the heart of what the American Revolution was actually fought to protect, self-governance in this country. ESG refers to 
environmental, social, and governance factors. Sounds benign enough, and then they make it an acronym to make it sound boring. That's on purpose. The more boring it is, the more you have to pay attention. That's my rule of thumb. It's designed to be sopophoric, to put you to sleep. Anyway, what they're doing is, this refers to a trend where they're using your own money, not your votes at the ballot box, something far more regular, something far more daily, your own money to vote for environmental, social, and governance agendas in corporate America's boardrooms that you didn't support. How are they using your money to do it? It's your 401k account, your retirement account, your brokerage account that holds stocks. It holds these shares, okay, shares in publicly traded companies. But those shares give you and entitle you to a vote on things like who's hired and fired at the board of directors, which decides the pay of the CEO, how those board members are paid, things like that. Well, it also decides what the policies are that are set for that company. So here's a couple facts you probably didn't know. Most of you probably had your money used to vote for scope three emissions caps at Chevron in the last several years. Did you know that? No, you didn't. Did it advance your best financial interests? Absolutely not. In fact, scope three emissions caps constrain what a company can and cannot do. It says they have to reduce the emissions caps, not only of their own company, but reduce the emissions of their entire supply chain. There's no way that works in the interest of Chevron. But they're using your money, which is used to own shares of a broad stock market basket that includes Chevron, to constrain what Chevron's able to do in the name of this ESG movement. Your money was almost certainly used in the last couple of years if you, if you own money in broad index funds or the stock market via BlackRock or State Street or countless others to vote for racial equity audits at Apple a couple of years ago. Now, does that help Apple become a better company, more competitive with Chinese competitors or others who don't have those racial equity audits in their hiring practices? Of course not, it's worse for Apple. And the funny thing is actually, even the boards of Chevron and Apple were against each of those policies before the shareholders, who are the shareholders? You, your money, was used to vote in favor of those policies over the objection of the management teams of those companies. So that's what's going on. That's just, those are two examples among many. Your own money is being used to advance agendas that are counter to your own views, but even more perniciously, against your own best financial interests. That's what the ESG movement is all about. It's effectively blue state pension funds and government actors being able to use financial institutions like BlackRock to do through the back door what they could not get done through the front door under the constitution of this country. This is arguably the largest scale violation of trust, fiduciary breach in human history. A fiduciary breach refers to somebody who's managing your money. They owe you a fiduciary duty. That's the highest duty of loyalty that they could owe you. Well, they're breaching that to advance somebody else's agenda. It's arguably a large-scale antitrust violation. BlackRock, State Street, Vanguard, these three firms alone are the largest shareholders and the ones that sway the votes. From competitors, from Coca-Cola to Pepsi, from Disney to Paramount Pictures, they quite literally own the largest share of more than 80% of the S&P 500. I believe that was a report a couple weeks ago by uh, Patrick Bet Bet David, his podcast. They had a show where they talked about this specifically. They have that much sway. From Chevron to Exxon, you think we have competitive free market capitalism, but not when the same puppet masters are pulling the strings of those same companies. It's also arguably even when they use pension fund money to give it to these firms, a First Amendment violation. 
those who are pensioners, those are government employees, they're forced to give their money in the pension funds that then go to the likes of BlackRock, who are effectively speaking on their behalf on what are fundamentally political questions. So my first book, Woke Inc., was all about this. I wrote that several years ago. I followed up, actually. My third book was a sequel to that called Capitalist Punishment that laid this out into detail. I'm not just an author. I'm an entrepreneur. It's what I've done for most of my career, long before I started writing books. I decided to put that skill set to work. I started a company called Strive to compete directly against BlackRock, State Street, and Vanguard. But that's what I've been doing before I ran for president. And so anyway, for those who wondered, you know, oh, this guy came out of nowhere, not quite, do your homework. But it's not about me. It's about the fact that this agenda now is taking new forms. After I went on my assault of this, of this movement's intellectual core, what happened was they started going by new names. So BlackRock stopped using the word ESG. They're now using the word sustainable investing. So this is where our movement needs to know that you got to stay one step ahead of where the other side is. We're too easily duped, actually. That's part of why I'm in this. Who cares about the verbiage? ESG, SHMESG, doesn't matter. DEI, CEI, it doesn't matter. Forget the acronyms. Get to the heart of what's going on. And in this case, your own dollars are being weaponized against your own best financial interests. But now in an election year, it gets a little bit more pernicious than that. It takes a darker turn. Larry Fink, he's the CEO of BlackRock, a board member of the World Economic Forum, the guy who's the king of this woke industrial complex, arguably the most powerful person in the private sector, deciding how shares are voted in corporate America's boardrooms. But in this election year, it's taken a darker turn. They're not just controlling corporate America. They're not just controlling the way the political process is run through the super PAC industrial complex and otherwise. They're controlling the party that you think you're a member of, the Republican Party itself. And I think there's a game unfolding in plain sight that people have missed. A lot of Republicans, I think, have been trained. We should have been. I mean, Republicans, Americans, forget the Republican Party. They're just a subsidiary of this ESG movement in its own right. It's deeper than that. There's something else going on in plain sight this year where the same puppet masters who are pulling the strings of corporate America are now pulling the strings of, I think, the political process, including in the Republican Party itself. That's a devious game. I'll have more to say about that soon. But for now, I just wanted people to understand the table stakes of what's been going on in the ESG movement. That's bad enough. Understand that. Understand how your 401k account, your brokerage account, et cetera, is being weaponized. That's step one. Once you understand that, we'll get to the devious part of what's actually happening in 2024. And he mentioned his book, Woke Ink. That is a fascinating tale. I cannot recommend people read it enough. I, yeah, I know I can use, it. Oh, use a little visualization. So I have, what is it, one, two, I have a couple bookshelves to my, well, it's my left. But this is Vivek's, one of the first books I read. This is not too long. It's about, what is this, three, yeah, a little over 300 pages. But that's the specific book that Vivek was just referring to. That was the first book he talks about in which he talks about how all these social ideologies start to combine with businesses and become a huge influence on them. So I definitely recommend if you're a business nerd or just a cultural nerd or political nerd, it's a great amalgamation of all those things. It's a fascinating tale. And let me know in the comments, would you be interested in me doing a book review? I usually read at least one book. Oh, I don't usually read. I always read at least one book a month. And the topics are usually business, politics, or philosophy. 
So let me know in the comments a little bit of feedback. So I was appreciated. Is that something you'd be interested in if I were to do a book summary? Or I know it's already Cliff Notes, maybe just a highlight of what the, the things I thought were the most interesting, most important parts of the book. Be fast to hear, if, let me know if that's something you'd be interested in. Now, getting back to Vivek's statement, then got, again, that got 3 million views and 54,000 likes. So as you might, might say, it went viral, to be sure. Now going to the comments section, one of the very first ones comes from, let me see here. Someone by the name of Jill86 says, quote, if you, are really, if you really are the things that you say, you would make the best vice president to Trump ever, and then we could have eight years of you, especially if you walk the walk, unquote. That got 508 likes. Devin Butcher, though, I don't want to say he gets an F for marketing. It's just a picture of a guy. He's not holding a cleaver or a traditional butcher apron. So this alleged butcher says, quote, they must be spot stopped and you're the man to stop them, unquote. Getting 387 likes. Let's see here. A couple. William Morris says, quote, BlackRock, State Street, and Vanguard are the modern-day East India Trading Company, unquote. Getting 42 likes. And it is one of those issues where, again, it's, especially if you work, with the, if you work in corporate America, they're the default for a lot of your 401ks. If you want to deviate from the company plan or you want to have your own individual you know, 401k, you have to manually meet with HR, you have to demand you want to put that money, or in some cases it might not even be an option, but that's one of the reasons these companies have such huge trillion dollars in valuation behind them that they can use to vote how they want, and they have so many control of these companies, it's because I mean, they're the default 401k for so many people. So to really combat that, you have to have a lot of people caring about their long-term life investments, and that's hard to get people to care about to begin with. And then making a change is a huge, huge issue. Then they have to cognitively say, I wanna move my 401k, move my resources, my savings from this account to this other provider, other brokerage firm. So it's a huge barrier of entry and then a barrier to change. So that's why I'm a little skeptical. I'm wondering, fiscally speaking, how could you combat these companies when again, for so many businesses, they're just the default 401k for all employees. Then you have the public sector. They have so much money in their 401ks. It's astonishing. And they're also very much politically active as well, which compounds the cultural and political movement that we've seen where businesses are getting involved and being swayed and not doing what's best for the shareholders and not actually doing their fiduciary responsibility, AKA doing what's best to monetize and make the most money for the company and their employees and shareholders. They're doing what the people want for political and social reasons. So it'll be interesting to see. I'm not sure what it's going to take to really combat that, but that is something to think about. Now, let's see. Space says, quote, careful, remember what happened to Russell Brand. It is a character of the Muppets. I forget what you call the two gentlemen who sat in the opera house, the top where they laugh at the show. But... On that picture, it says, quote, he said, "Black Vanguard and Blackout out loud, clearly he is a Russian racist, Russian racist rapist, unquote. I got 65 likes. Continue to scroll down. Scotty W says, quote, this guy impresses me ev more every time he speaks, unquote, getting 108 likes. Let's see here. Peter Tarr says, quote, I certainly hope there's nothing that can be used to compromise you if you're elected. If there is, they'll find a way to use it. It's not the that nearly 100% of politicians start as corrupt established lackeys. 
It's that they end up that way after being bought or compromised, unquote. They got 44 likes. Johnny W says, quote, protect Vivek at all costs, unquote, getting 101 likes. Jim Martinau says, quote, Nikki Haley is the new replacement for Biden. Yep, getting 77 likes. Ashley Joe says, quote, BlackRock, State Street, and Vanguard shaped a colossal influence. A call to reshape the narrative around the ESG movement, thought-provoking perspective on the intricate web of power. Unquote, getting 46 likes. And Vivek, he had the right call. You're talking about how these companies are moving away from the vernacular of ESG. We covered that a couple months ago in which McDonald's, one of the largest companies on the planet, they removed the terms ESG from their website, but they replaced it with new vernacular to more or less have the same effect. So they're, I think they're starting to notice that people are realizing what ESG really stands for and it's uh, not good marketing anymore. So they're going to change the vernacular to something else, though it will mean this, they have the same effect, which I think is why you're seeing those, all those keywords and those phrases taking down corporate websites. As I continue to scroll through the comments, you have Dr. Insensitive Jerks and quote, this is huge. Institutional investors hold the whip hand over most large corporate boards. Disclosure, I'm a real economist. Again, click the subscribe button. It may help with my speaking and aptitudes. It's not 100% guaranteed. Very few things in life are, but it might help. I got 58 likes. <coughs> Excuse me. Let's see. Winnie Skolas is, quote, the control, our life, and our choices, unquote, getting 21 likes. Douglas Heinrich says, quote, they want to control us. It's up to us to stop it, unquote, getting 50 likes. And it's true. Go to your boss tomorrow, or more accurately, go to your human resources department. Say you want to move your 401k. If your company has an agreement with Vanguard, State Tree, Tum, I want to go to maybe a smaller brokerage firm or a mom and pop shop. Again, I'm not getting financial advice. I'm just saying, if you want to have some teeth to your bite, so to say, if you really want to be more involved in the cultural movement around investing and getting it back to having it more merit-based and having it go back to the point in which it was more fiscal responsibility of the shareholders, you got to start shifting away from these companies. I know sometimes it can be a pain in the rear, but they have so much resources not only do I think you need to have more companies pop up to combat them, so Vivek started Strive, but you need to actually have resource shifting as well. Because again, they have trillions of dollars in assets, and that's quite literally just them managing so many investments in 401ks. So I think you need a twofold plan in terms of you need to build those new businesses, build those new 401k brokerage firms, and you also have to have people move their accounts away from those companies. Now, a couple more comments here. Judge Jeannie Fan says, as a picture compilation of Joe Biden with text, and the text says, quote, if you got the most votes in American history, you don't have to go after your political opponents, but if you cheated and stole the election, you pretty much have to, unquote. That got 655 likes, being one of the most viral ones out there. Let's see here. Jaron says, quote, oh, whoops. Uh, sometimes the touchscreen technology eludes me. Let's see here. Almost back to the point. Oh, where'd it go? All right, so Jaron said, quote, how does ESG benefit these companies? What's the point, unquote? Zero, zero likes, but brings us about a question. It's, I suspect it's more about control and ego. Because again, the, all these, like Larry Fink, he's one of the most fiscally successful people in history. He has millions of dollars. I believe there's some, oh, was it Larry Fink? 
I forget if it was him or one of the executives at Microsoft. There's someone saying how they have an art collection. The art collection alone is worth hundreds of millions of dollars. I mean, they have fiscal wealth. They've accomplished that. Now, I believe it's more around the next step in their career, which is getting involved in politics, having political and more a different influence on society. So that's my three cents. Used to be two cents, but 40-year hyperinflation, got to be three cents. Should be four cents, but I'm a generous man, just my three cents today. Though, still free, again, to click the subscribe button. And as I continue to scroll through, more and more comments. It's just overwhelming support for Vivek. And again, I thought Vivek was also articulate and wise to bring up the issue of there are a lot of people who don't know his backstory. I mean, personally, I'm a bookworm, so I showed you the book that I read a couple of months ago. So I always like to know as much about folks as possible, especially when they're successful entrepreneurs. And again, politics, that fascinates me. But again, a lot of people are, you look at the comments previously, a lot of the feedback for Vivek is, you know, where was this guy? You know, what was his background? Which again, it kind of shows, unfortunately, the lack of effort some Americans have put into researching. I mean, it takes not even three seconds to just do a search engine for this guy just to see what his background is. But nevertheless, I think he's correct and articulate. I think it's a good move on the political chessboard to keep bringing up the concerns that people have because he's addressing the hesitations people have expressed in previous posts in the comment section. So I think that'll help him in his ever-increasing effort to get the Republican nominee. Again, he's still far behind Nikki Haley. She's getting closer to passing on DeSantis. And of course, Trump is ahead of everyone, though he's getting banned on the Colorado ballot. The Supreme Court will probably have to rule on that, of course. So it'll be interesting to see. He's bringing up, he's addressing all the hesitance. It's very much like a traditional sale of a product. People are saying we don't like him, we're hesitant to vote for him because of X, Y, and Z. And he's addressing those concerns. So the real question is, what other concerns do people have on not casting a ballot for him? And can he address all of them? And of course, there are a lot of people who I know who would vote for Vivek, but they just have Trump as their pick right now. I think that's a big reason Vivek isn't ahead of DeSantis. If Trump was not running, I think Vivek would be probably ahead of DeSantis just based on the anecdotal evidence I see on social media where, and again, I know it's not a direct correlation with the polls and social media, but there are a lot of receptive people and anecdotally speaking, just speaking with you know guys around the water cooler. Well, a lot of the folks are really appreciating what Vivek is saying. And he has a lot of unique ideas and more, more bizarre but unique from a political perspective. He actually gives ways to fix problems, as opposed to most politicians given the cliche, we need to get Americans back to work, which every politician since the dawn of time keeps saying, but Vivek actually gives steps and policies and procedures on how to accomplish his goals, which is pretty rare. I wish every politician did that. That'd be a great thing to demand. So it'll be interesting to see. Let me know in the comments, what do you vote for Vivek for Republican nominee? And if not, what are your hesitations or what does he need to do or what topics does he need to address to overcome those concerns? So be fascinated here, what you have to say. Now, going over to the business blunder of the day, you have Honda to recall 2.5 million vehicles, including my baby, my Honda Civic, one of the most bulletproof vehicles of all time. And of course, the Honda Civic Si only comes with a stick shift, as all vehicles should by default, also known as having three pedals, aka the manual transmission, the most fun you'll ever have driving a vehicle, far known. I cannot recommend this experience enough. Every time I shift, I smile a little bit. Worth every penny. Now, this comes to us thanks to ABC News. They note that over 2.5 million cars, including Honda, as well as the other brand that they own, which is Acura, are affected by the recall. They know that Honda's, or Honda Motors' American arm is recalling more than 2.5 million vehicles in the U.S. due to a fuel pump defect that can increase the risk of engine failure or stalling while driving. 
Again, this is by the Associated Press as well as ABC News. And it looks like according to the documents published by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration, the fuel pump impeller used for the 2017 to 2020 Acura and Honda vehicles were improperly molded. This results in low density impellers, which quote, can deform and interfere with the fuel pump body, quote, over time. Regulars said leading to an inoperative fuel pump. If the fuel pump doesn't work, I was just hilarious, so I have to explain it. Well, I was going to say, I know a lot of people are buying electric vehicles and Lord knows I don't think they teach anything in public schools these days, yet alone mechanical engineering or actually you know, how to properly maintain your vehicle. True, they don't teach you how to balance a checkbook or actually calculate interest on something, which shows the vast inaptitudes of the public schools and perhaps why the ACT scores at 32 year low, which of course the teachers unions want even more money. But nevertheless, we'll explain what the hell a fuel pump does. Now a fuel pump pumps fuel into the engine so it could ignite the engine, make the pistons go up and down, drive the crankshank, drive the drivetrain, vehicle go forward. Or reverse if you use the reverse gear. Now, nevertheless, they specify if the fuel pump module doesn't work, the car's engine may not start or stall while driving. Because again, you need fuel for the actual engine. They know that could increase crash and injury risk. Honda says it has not received any crash or injury reports related to recall to date. So again, silver lining in life, usually you can find it if you squint hard enough. The silver lining is, thankfully no one's been hurt, no one's passed away from this incident. So again, it's not gonna be, it's not good for the brand, obviously, but thankfully it's not a detrimental issue in which people are being severely injured, and thank God they're not passing away from it. So that's the good news. Now Honda additionally said, quote, Countermeasure replacement parts are not available in sufficient quantities for all recall vehicles at this time of this announcement. And Honda America intends to notify vehicle owners in stages, unquote. Or just, you know, listen and I'll tell you all these vehicles. Now, looks like dealer notification was scheduled to kick off earlier last week, according to the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration documents. Drivers can confirm if their specific vehicle is included in the in the recall using the NHTSA site and or, <coughs> excuse me, Honda or Aculus recall or lookup recall platforms. And this is the sad part. These are all the impacted models, which spoiler alert, Honda Civic is hit. Now specifically, it is the model years 2018 to 2020 Honda Accord, 2017 to 2020 Honda Accord Hybrid, 2018 to 2020 Honda Civic four door, 2018 to 2020 Honda Civic two door, it hurts. 2018-2020 uh, Honda Civic 5-door. 2018-2020 Honda Civic Type R. 2018-2019 Honda Clarity PH. Terrible marking. 2018-2020 Honda CRV. 2020-2020 Honda CRV Hybrid. 2018-2019 Honda Fit. Oh, jeez Louise. 2018-2020 Honda HRV. 2018-2020 Honda ILX, or sorry, Acura NL, ILX, 2019-2020 Honda Insight, 2018-2020 Acura MDX, 2018-2020 Acura MDX Hybrid, 2017-2020 Acura NXX, 2018-2020 Honda Odyssey, 2019-2020 Honda Passport, 2018-2020 Acura RDX, 2018-2020 Honda Ridgeline, 2018-2020 Acura RLX, 2018-2020 Acura TLX. And, geez Louise, 22 different models, including the premium, well, I mean, I would never buy one because obviously it's automatic only, but even the newer Acura NSX, 
Now the old one was awesome because obviously it was a stick shift with three pedals. Also used manual transmission, also known as the best fun you'll ever have while driving. And which is why those things are worth hundreds of thousand dollars even to this day. Now, they continue to say earlier this week, NHDSA and Honda also announced recall more than 106,000 2020-2022 CRV hybrid vehicles due to a missing fuse on the power circuit of the exterior 12-volt battery cables that could cause the cable battery to short circuit or overheat during a crash. So again, not great news for Honda, especially because, again, this is getting ridiculous. We just talked about Toyota the day before where they had a recall of a million vehicles because of a vehicle airbag sensor, which again, one of the issues of manufacturing a vehicle these days is why I don't like, ironically, I work in technology for a living, but in certain applications, I hate having too much technology, AKA automotive, because the more complex you make these vehicles, the more technology you're putting in them, the more unreliable they have become. It's because there's so many, you're just introducing failure points. And in this case, it sounds like you're just a bad supplier or you may be a subcontractor or subcontractor whoever made this particular molding. But again, they need, I've said this multiple times, they need to ramp up their testing. Because again, especially with Honda, they're known for reliability. They're not known for making the fastest cars on the planet. When I was test driving vehicles, unfortunately, I was forced by a, a new vehicle when I was uh, in an accident. I looked at other vehicles. I looked at the Ford Focus ST, which also only comes with a stick shift. Love that vehicle. That was fun. More horse, that had more horsepower than the Honda Civic Si. It had, I think, a little less trunk capacity. That really wasn't an the issue. They could both fit a trunk or a uh, guitar case or a rifle case. Obviously, you gotta check that. This is Texas, but the Ford was faster. It had, it's actually a lower price point. There are a lot of attractions, but I chose the Honda Civic partially because of the reliability and the ineptitude of the United Auto Workers with the Ford Focus ST. They actually put a Ford Mustang gasket onto a Ford Focus ST, which was called a huge recall and coolant and leaks everywhere. So of course the build quality of the Honda is better, but I chose a less powerful vehicle. I chose a less fun vehicle because of the reliability. That's what Honda's known for. My parents still drive a 2001 Honda Accord. They bought it new. It still works. It's that reliable of a platform. Well over hundred thousand miles. Even the Rust Belt, it still runs like a champ. A lot of people say Japanese engineering and automotive engineering peaked in the mid-2000s because after that, we put more and more tech into these vehicles, which introduced more and more failure points. And personally, I can go without the XY Banana Falcon features that they plug into these cars these days. Truth be told, I really have less. To me, the biggest luxury feature I appreciate that I would consider new tech might be heated seats. We've had those for decades. And maybe a Bluetooth? Granted, if you get the right car, you just listen to the engine. But nevertheless, to have a platform where Honda is known for bulletproof reliability. And have, now, thankfully, this isn't the engine or the transmission, AKA those are the big expensive pieces. Or if you're foolish enough to buy a hybrid, the 10 to 20 to $30,000 battery, that's a big failure point, big cost point. So, <laughs> excuse me. Thankfully, this isn't an instance where you're having massive detrimental engine failure. So again, there's a silver lining. If you squint hard enough, you'll find it in life. But so it's thankful that that is the silver lining. Your engine isn't going to grenade like the Subaru BRZ where a simple little bearing actually grenades the whole engine, which again, another fun car, but unreliable. So with Honda still, they don't even have enough on hand to fix all these, which I guess I'm not surprised. This is a huge volume of vehicles. 
and they will by default let the fixies let them actually roll out these repairs because they can't fix them all at once. So it'll be interesting to see, but I was going to say, have you lost faith in terms of, do you think these cars are just so unreliable you wouldn't buy one anymore? Because we've covered nearly every major automotive manufacturer at this point in terms of we've covered all these multiple recalls in the business blunder of the day. Would you still buy a Honda? I guess is what I'm curious to hear. If I had an unlimited budget and I had the opportunity to have more than one vehicle, I'd probably get a Civic again. I, of course, I'd get a Civic Si, or if I was really fortunate, I'd buy a Civic Type R. Now, granted, you have to find a dealership or a dealership that isn't marking up at five to ten grand, which makes a Civic Type R a sixty thousand dollar vehicle. I don't know what they're inebriated on. Perhaps they're drinking Bud Light at the dealerships in DFW, but I would never spend sixty thousand dollars on a Civic Type R. I mean, again, great vehicle, overall great quality, great manufacturing, but. The markup, they're putting 10K or MSRP for market adjustments. I wouldn't do that. But if I could get a Honda Civic Type R and had the re <laughs> excuse me, the resources to afford that or a Honda Civic Si, a new model, and they didn't charge a market adjustment, I could get an MSRP or realistically, you know, below MSRP, even given all these recalls, I still say I'd buy one. Because again, to me, the most expensive thing I've ever had in my vehicle, I had to replace a, and this, I have a 2018 Honda Civic um, Si with a stick shift by default, of course, the best transmission ever. The only major thing I've had to do is I had to buy a engine mount because that was wearing out. Uh, so a little, a little piece of rubber, glorified, little engine mount replacement. And I replaced the front brake rotors, which I should clarify, I've only had to do those because I take it to the track. So I do a lot more wear and tear on the vehicle than you would if you're just daily driving it and not putting as much mo hard miles on the vehicle. Now, I've been very blessed and privileged I haven't had any major catastrophic um, mechanical issues with the vehicle, which kind of is one of the reasons why I think I purchased one again. But nevertheless, to have such a big recall affecting li a little over two and a half million vehicles, I mean, that is still the business blunder of the day. Thank you everyone again for taking the time to tune in today. Again, we're trying to get to 4,000 subscribers by the end of December. Still a little bit of time, so you click that button. I greatly appreciate it. Also, leaving a comment is a great way to give me some additional feedback. Let me know how I can make the show better and better as I do want to constantly improve the product and make everyone more excited to tune in and tune in again. Also, leaving a thumbs up is a great way to let me know I'm on the right track as well as I think it helps with the YouTube algorithm to get shared more. Lastly, don't forget to take time to tell your family, tell your friends, tell your coworkers, heck, Tell your enemies, tell anyone and everyone, just stay safe, fight the good fight.